Hi, everyone. I'm Kate Boyle, and welcome back to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Now, this week on the show, I have my first returning guest, Marjorie Nass. Now, Marjorie is a women's health expert that specializes in perimenopause and menopause. And over the past two decades, she has helped thousands of women successfully navigate perimenopause and menopause so they feel confident, vibrant, and energized. This week on the show, we are chatting about perimenopause and how do we know that we're actually in perimenopause? So Marjorie shares her expert knowledge. We chat about sleep, stress, exercise and movement and food, lifestyle and so much more and just general healthy habits that can help women in all stages of their lives. So Marjorie is always an amazing guest. She's very easy to talk to. So let's have a listen in. Hi, I'm Kate Boyle and welcome to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you health information from diet and lifestyle movement and nutrition. My aim is to bring you bite-sized pieces of information that you can instigate into your everyday life to change your health. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today, I have a very special returning guest to the podcast. Marjorie, welcome today. Thank you for having me back, Kate. It's great to be here. Well, we had such a great response from your last episode where we dove into perimenopause and menopause, which for listeners that are tuning in now, if you want to go back and listen to that episode, it's episode 147, which I will link in the show notes as well. But today we're going to have more of a deep dive into perimenopause and more importantly, how do we know when we're starting to enter perimenopause? Well, I think it's really important to talk about the terminology because I hear from so many people, I never knew what perimenopause was. And it's really important because in fact, menopause is one day. It is the day after you've gone an entire year without a period. And technically everything after that is post-menopause. But we've kind of blended it all into everything. And actually post-menopause is is rarely used as a term. So we have changes in our body. So we start puberty, our body starts producing more sex hormones so that we become fertile um, as soon as we start having a period. And that continues for about 25 years. And then our hormones start to change again. Our sex hormones start to change. And just like it's harder to get pregnant when you're later in your 30s, that's because your hormones have changed and you're producing fewer eggs. And the lining of the uterus changes. So it's harder to sustain a pregnancy. And as those changes begin, other changes start to show up in the body. So one of the very first things to change, if I'm not getting ahead of myself, is is um, is period. So for a lot of women, they have very regular cycles or they have irregular cycles. And if you've had very regular cycles, all of a sudden it might be shorter or it might be longer or the cycle itself might be shorter or longer. And that is a totally normal change. But for some women, they feel like something's wrong, like maybe something's wrong. Yeah, well, I can, you know, when it does start to change, 
can it be different from month to month too? Like, can you, you know, have your regular cycle and then it might be longer the next month and then might go back to your normal regular 28 day cycle and then change again? Yes, 100%. In fact, uh, that often happens. So somebody will skip a period and then for six months, it'll be absolutely normal. Or, you know, it's every other month that changes. I know for myself, the cycles became shorter and then they became lighter. And then they started skipping months. And that's, that is totally, totally normal for a lot of women. They think something's wrong. And again, like our body has such wisdom. You know, the hormones are, are, are changing. We are now going to be in this period of menopause even longer than we were in our fertile years. So for fertile for 30 years, 25 to 35 years, we could potentially be in menopause and post-menopause for 40 years or 50 years. So this is a whole nother stage of our life. And if we start to recognize it, it's not a disease. We're not sick. Nothing is wrong. It can feel like we're sick, but we're not. It's just a change. Just like as puberty, like you remember back in puberty, or if you have young girls, like things are changing and that goes along with emotions and I'm becoming this woman now. And now, you know, in terms of psychologically and emotionally, how we look at that, that's going to affect how we feel about ourselves as well. Yeah. And I know recently a client was saying to me, she said, I'm 52. And she said, my cycle is as regular as when I was 25. And she said, all my friends, you know, are in perimenopause or starting to hit menopause. And she said, I think there's something wrong with me because she said, I'm having one every month. And I, you know, I tried to explain to her, it's not a bad thing, you know, Um, but I'm sure you come across clients that have that happen as well. Well, it's it's rare. And isn't that interesting that the woman who's the healthiest thinks that there's something wrong with her? Like that's very backwards if we think about it. And it shows that for most women, they we are out of balance because they are not normal. And, and I've been doing some research about this or reading about this, that especially in Asian cultures and Japanese cultures, in other cultures around the world, they don't have the same symptoms. In fact, they don't have words for ha flashes because they are that rare. And here it's like one of the first signs, like, you know, 80% of women have ha flashes. So why is this? It's because of our lifestyle, what we eat, how we sleep, the um, how we revere elders in other cultures. You know, when somebody becomes older, that they're the person to go to. And in 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 our cultures, you know, generally that older people, you know, they kind of become invisible a little bit. And so all of this emotions affect our bodies, our bodies affect emotions. Mm. And what are some of the other main symptoms that people might start to experience when they hit perimenopause? We spoke about the cycle changing and hot flashes, but what are the other sort of common ones that tend to crop up? Yeah. So for a lot of women, they say to me, I have not changed anything in my exercise or in what I'm eating and I'm gaining weight. So why is this? Well, our body is not going to be the same in our late 30s, early 40s that it was five years ago or 10 years ago. Every year, our body is changing. So unless we adapt to our changing body, we are going to put on weight. And some of that is because if 
especially in our 40s and 50s, if we are over-exercising, the stress hormone cortisol is actually the hormone that tends to um, have uh, belly fat, put on belly fat. So this is where um, looking at that, there's nothing wrong with you if you can't lose the weight, if you start eating less and exercising more, that's probably not going to help because your body's different right now. And the, I just want to say one more thing about weight, which is that it can be distributed differently. And often it's in the belly. And again, that can also be um, about cortisol and about stress. So we're able, we're handling stress in a different way because our body's changing and we don't have those sex hormones, which, which produce the ability uh, every month to have a period and to potentially have a baby. Another sign is changes in sleep. And you and I talked a lot about sleep on the last podcast and, you know, all about the sleep. It's one of the first things that, that I teach and, and, and we look at because once our sleep become dis- becomes disturbed, everything in life is harder. So if you're up in the middle of the night and you wake up, you're going to probably stressed. You're going to be thinking about your kids. You're going to be thinking about work and ruminating. And without having the tools to get back to sleep and to learn why this is happening, everything's harder. When you're thinking about when you're tired, you're sleep deprived, your mood, um, you're going to be more irritable. You're going to be uh, less patient and it's going to be harder to get through your day. I, you know, we hear about brain fog. Well, if you're tired, you're going to be less focused and less productive and less motivated. So all of this is a cascade effect from how we're sleeping, our sleep quality, whether or not we're having night sweats, when that's interrupted, that starts creating this cascade effect. So that's something else to look like if you're all of a sudden, you're not sleeping as well, you're falling asleep fine, but then you're waking up, or if you're waking up and unable to go back to sleep, those are all signs as well. Well, it's really interesting because I have interviewed a sleep coach recently and she was talking about stress levels and how when it comes to sleep, we kind of think about it in the evening that we've got to unwind and de-stress in the evening. But she said it's even more important to build the breaks throughout the day to lower our cortisol levels so that when it does come to the evening, we're not all sort of wired up. We've already had those breaks built in throughout the day. So our cortisol levels are already dropping before we go, oh, we've got to do our 10 meditation, 10 minute, you know, meditation before we go to bed and that will solve everything. So it's interesting, you know, you're sort of saying to reduce the symptoms, we need to focus on sleep and our cortisol levels. And she's like to, you know, help you sleep. You also need to reduce cortisol levels. I, um, one of my sayings is that a good night sleep starts in the morning because how we how we wake up how we're moving through the day whether or not we're having coffee whether we're rushing all of those things are going to build up throughout the day and if we're kind of lagging behind because we're tired in the morning we we feel more stressed so here's the thing we all have stress it's how we respond to the stress that makes a difference because we all know people that have gone through you know, very stressful times in their life, whether it's an illness, whether it's a change in marital status or a move, and they don't seem to have the issue. So somebody else with those same events would might, you know, completely get sick or hurt themselves or, you know, 
things get much more difficult in relationships, for example. Mm. And when it comes to, you know, if somebody's listening and going, yes, I am definitely experiencing some of these symptoms, but, you know, where should I start? Because it, you know, they might say I'm having hot flashes, but I'm sleeping okay. What else, you know, what should I be doing to change this? Where would you suggest someone starts? Yeah. So once you're having hot flashes, the the simplest thing to do, and again, this totally <laughs> might blow people's minds, but is look at when you are eating. So depending on how often you're eating, that can often induce a hot flash. So if you think about eating, it requires energy, right? So we eat, we digest, the body absorbs and assimilates. And the more often we're eating, the harder the body has to work to digest. So this is one of the things that I noticed. I was never having hot flashes, but I was hot. And I, when I lived in New York City, I was running around, I taught classes in different places and workshops, and I still was doing private working privately at people's homes. So I was kind of on and off the subway. And I also, at that time, wasn't making time for myself to sit down and eat. So I was kind of grazing throughout the day with nuts and fruit and this and that. And I was kind of always hot. And then when I started learning about Ayurveda, you can go back and learn about that in our last podcast. We spoke about it, the science of life. I learned about this energy and this creates heat. So if we're eating too often, we're going to create more heat and that can create more hot flashes. So one of the first things you can notice is, are you eating when you're hungry? And if you're not eating when you're hungry, kind of thinking about it, well, I don't want to have hot flashes. Why don't I want to have hot flashes? I want to have more energy. I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to look sweaty in front of people. So eating less frequently, and that is counter counterintuitive to, or counter to what we learned over the years, like uh, eating every couple of hours to like prevent blood sugar regulation. And it actually is the exact opposite because we want to be able to, for our body to digest and then rest. And that's become uh, a little more popular, a lot more popular now with intermittent fasting. And Ayurveda has never called it that, but intermittent fasting for thousands of years. You eat and then you sleep and you wait until you're hungry. Next yeah. Time you eat. Well, it's also called now time-restricted eating, but, you know, it is. it makes sense that you, you know, have your dinner and earlier if possible, and then you have that break. And that's how we would have lived, you know, thousands of years ago when we were hunting and gathering and food would have been a lot more scarce. And, you know, we wouldn't have been eating constantly because they just didn't have access to food like we do now. Exactly. Exactly. And um, for women, hot flash is the exact same thing. If you're eating later, your body is going to be still actively digesting. And that's going to create more heat during the night. So by pushing back your bedtime and understanding this for a lot of women that I work with, they, they don't, you know, like we've all heard, like, don't eat three hours before. Well, yeah, you might get heartburn or whatever, but it's because it's creating more work for your body. And when your body's actively digesting, you're not going to get as restful sleep and then you're going to be tired. Does that make sense, Kate? 
Yeah, a hundred percent. And I want to touch on too, you were sort of saying before that, you know, you were busy in between and, you know, eating on the go. I think that's something that's quite popular. Do you know what I mean? A lot of people are really busy. They're at work. They've got back-to-back appointments. So they're quickly trying to get something in or they're driving and trying to eat something, you know, on the go. Whilst your cortisol level is probably high because you're stressed about trying to eat this and do something else at the same time, which will affect our digestion too. Yeah. Um, eating while you're driving, I mean, it's kind of like eating while in a stressed state. Like as much as you think about, yeah, I, I don't, you know, it's the same way that I've driven, you know, thousands of times, but your body is not focused on eating and you're never, your digestion is never going to be as good, as effective, as efficient as when you're sitting down and eating. So here is where we come into priorities and making priorities. And it, it can look like it's impossible. I have back-to-back meetings. How am I going to eat? How am I going to sit down? Well, I know that people make 10 minutes to go to the bathroom, five minutes to go to the bathroom. And deciding that you're going to make that five minutes for you to eat, to start and to sit down. And again, why do we want to do that? Because we want to be more present for our families. And taking those five minutes is an example to everybody else. I have heard that people are not given a lunch. Like it's just not like the boss eats at their desk and that just becomes the culture. And that's a really unhealthy culture. And in order to make changes in society, we know that we're not well as a culture. We know this. Obesity rates, diabetes rates, this is not news to anybody, but it's because of the way that we're living. So every little change that we can make helps make you a better mom, a better daughter, a better member of community. And you're setting an example for everyone else in your life that, you know, if, if like, if you have people that are around you and like, nope, we're going to sit down. We're just going to pause. Um, if you have kids and, and they're running around and sitting in front of the computers while they eat, this is a chance for you to create a new paradigm of living that's going to be healthier for generations to come. A hundred percent. about you. <laughs> yeah, well, I totally agree. And I know, you know, even in schools, um, my girls have, you know, they have 10 minutes where they sit and eat lunch before they're allowed to go outside and run around. So, you know, sometimes that's not even quite enough time because, you know, the lunchbox will come home and I'll be like, oh, you didn't, you know, finish your watermelon or whatever. And they'll be like, oh, I ran out of time. I had to get the lunch orders. You know, I was a lunch order monitor today. And so I missed out, you know, on getting time to eat. But, you know, it's built in, you know, even a small amount of time is built into our school system. So it really should be built into the workplaces as well. It's funny. I just, I was reading a novel about camp, about summer camp. I don't know if it's a thing where you live, but kind of an American thing where, um, especially in the Northeast where kids go off to camp for four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks. So I did that for like six years when I was a kid and we had rest hour. So we'd have lunch and right after lunch, uh, you went back to your bunk and you weren't allowed to talk. Like, I don't know if this is still a thing now, but you, I feel like hundred years old, we wrote letters. <laughs> I think some of the camps, they don't have electronic now. So maybe they're still writing letters. You wrote letters. 
you wrote, you know, you, you read the letters that you got, or you took a little nap and it was quiet for 45 minutes. And, you know, that makes sense in terms of digestion, like that, that was sort of built in there. And our bodies can't adapt that quickly. It takes thousands, tens of thousands of years for our bodies to evolve. And we're not going to have evolved that quickly for all of a sudden that we can jump up and do the next thing. And this is when people, when a woman or anybody makes, starts to make a lifestyle change, everything in the body works differently. So sometimes some of these aches and pains, I worked with a woman, she came to me because of fatigue and her hot flashes and her sleep. And her digestive issues got better. It was a complete surprise. But, you know, when she was able to kind of slow down and lower her stress level, that that became a thing. And um, I love stories like that. Yeah, it's always nice because, as we know, everything is interconnected. So you will get those flow-on effects and those benefits in other areas that you don't expect them to, but they do pop up. Indeed. Well, I always say to my clients too, when they are, you know, they will say, oh, well, I'll stop for lunch. And I I always say to them, well, don't pick up your phone when you stop and have lunch either, because whether or not you're looking at the news or scrolling on social media, again, we can still have that stress response. And even though you're thinking you're, you know, carving out time for yourself, essentially, you're still going to be having those cortisol spikes from being on that device. Yeah. You know, I I did want to bring this up since it is our second time talking and I hope I can add, you know, more valiant people is we can have all this information. There's no shortage of information out there. Um, You, you know, a lot of the women that I've worked with, they've been researching hours a day for years, for months and for years, trying to figure this out on their own. And this leads them onto different paths where, whether it's a supplement or whether it's continuing, uh, considering an RX or HRT and all of that time spent to have support can make such a difference because it can, you know, even though you're kind of, you know, the woman that was well and all her friends, it can kind of become a complaining fest for women to sit and complain. And then their trading tips. And what works for one woman isn't necessarily going to for another for so many reasons. But having a very clear vision about why you want to feel better. Because it's well and good to say, I'm going to sit down for lunch. I'm not going to eat while I'm driving. And I'm not going to look at social media. But without really shifting what we believe and what we believe is possible and what we want in our life, we can just kind of go back to where we were very quickly, especially if we're not experiencing results right away. Mm. And I think too, it's very similar to when people say, oh, I'm going to start this new diet. Um, And I, you know, even with my nutrition clients, I say to them, this is a way of life. It's not, you know, we adopt this for 12 weeks and, you know, you get the weight off and you improve your thyroid and then, you know, it's, we get rid of it. It's too hard. We're trying to create a lifestyle that you can now adopt forever. That's enjoyable. That's easy to follow and doesn't feel like it's a chore. Otherwise you are going to give it up. A hundred percent. I, we are exactly on the same page as that. I don't even use the word diet, 
um, because that implies something that you're going to go on and on off by talking about nutrition or how are you nourishing yourself and that's food. And that's also, you know, in so many other ways, but adopting something that's sustainable, that feels good, that's easy to follow, that your family is going to understand. And, and again, setting this example, like, I don't know how much your family cooked, but my mom like cooked the same three things and that there weren't very many vegetables. There were like mushrooms. And when I was growing up, there were probably like peas. (laughs) There weren't very many fresh vegetables or maybe a salad. So I had to learn myself how to do this. But I think like setting an example, how fun cooking can be and how it can be a time that you spend time together with your family where you're away from screens and just sort of instilling that because that's really a life skill that you can use forever. And when we are cooking more for ourselves, we know what's going into our body. The more we're depending on uh, food that's been in a restaurant or food that's been prepared by somebody else and you're picking up prepared foods, um, the harder it's going to be because there's always going to be other ingredients and we don't know what they are. And those can also be contributing to our being out of balance, whether it's the processed oils or added sugars um, and on and on. Mm. Well, I was a child of the 80s, which meant there was a lot of processed foods. You know, things were coming out in the 80s that they hadn't had. So, you know, there was definitely cheese, you know, those cheese slices in the cellophane that you'd unwrap every day for your lunches and packet pastas we'd always have. We'd have some meat and a couple of veg and this packet pasta on the side. And I know, you know, my mum tried, but she didn't love cooking. So she, there was always a meal, but she didn't really love it. So if that convenience was there, she definitely would, you know, lean towards it. But I know from, you know, cooking with my girls, trying to even go back to basics and make simple meals, because I know, you know, so many of us are so busy and it's very easy to pick up something from the supermarket and it's a complete meal. But like you said, you turn it over on the back and although it looks like it's, you know, chicken and some pasta and veg, it's got stabilizers and emulsifiers and, you know, preservatives because it has to last there for a lot longer than if you cooked from the fresh ingredients. So I think it's definitely something that we need to look out for. And even just being able to flip over and being able to read an ingredient list or search for products that have little to no ingredient lists is, you know, what we want to aim for when we can. Exactly. If I could add one more thing about things that last, and this is from an Ayurveda perspective. So um, it's like how you could talk about it, about the freshness or the nutrients. So if you are eating a carrot that you just picked from the ground or a peach that you just picked from the tree, that is going to have so much energy because it's like alive, right? But if something's been sitting in the supermarket or on the shelf that could last on the shelf for two years, like how much energy is that actually going to give you? And here's the thing, whether or not your body is eating something that has no nutrients. If some, if your body is eating something that really it doesn't recognize as food, it has to work so much harder to, because it's trying to eliminate everything. There's no nutritional benefit. I, I just know, I don't know. I thought about a Twinkie or something. Like there's nothing in there that, that the body can use. So it has to use all this energy to eliminate 
right? And where as we're eating like a fresh, you know, a, a fresh bowl of vegetables with some fresh uh, fish or whatever it is, like your body can really use that. Food is becoming your body. So giving your body too much work, that's also going to create more heat. That's going to create more fatigue because your body's trying to get uh, energy and it's not getting it from the food that you are eating. So if it's been sitting uh, with process, you know, with stabilizers and preservatives, all that is going to make less energy from it. And there's a word in Sanskrit for those of you who do yoga, it's called prana. So it's like the food isn't alive enough to support you. Well, I love how you put that because I think, you know, so many of the time people will look and go, they'll look at the energy or the calories, but they don't tend to look at anything else or think about, like you said, you know, if our body's got to work on detoxification processes, you know, and elimination, then, you know, our body is wasting energy towards that and not putting it towards digestion and building muscles and cells and and all the right things. So I think that's a lovely reframing of, of how to choose food. Hi, everyone. You guys know how much I love Paleo Valley. Well, this January, they have a 20% off site-wide sale happening for the full month of January to celebrate the new year and helping you to support your health. Now, I myself take their vitamin C complex, their turmeric complex, their organ complex, as well as their protein powders, and I love them all. They're an ethical company. They do not add any fillers into their products, and they have the highest standards. So check out their sale by heading on over to the podcast show notes and grabbing that link. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, I was recently with a dear friend who I love and I actually was able to stay with her and, you know, we went and got, um, we got some smoothies and we went into this place and she was like looking at something. She was like, how many calories does it have? And it was a place that doesn't have calories on there because that's not what's important about the nutrients and everything. And, and it was just so interesting that she, cause I haven't thought about that for years because it's not really a measure um, because you could have like a beautiful plate of, of vegetables with um, olive oil and avocado, and that's going to have more, more calories than something that has less nutritional value. I want to say one more thing about the stress that when your body is working to excrete the preservatives that it doesn't understand, it gets stored in your body as fat and it's really putting stress on our organs. So all the organs of elimination have to work so much harder. So whether it's the, um, if it's the liver or the kidneys and that puts strain on them. And those are the things that our body will need to use for as long as we're living in it. That's what I call aging is living longer in your body. So we don't want to do that to it. And again, I don't know, I've been using this analogy a lot. Like this is the only house you have to live in. You've been given one body. And if you were living, if you knew that you were only going to live in one house, you would take care of it. You know that things like can't fall apart, like um, the plumbing, it's, you know, very, very analogous to the plumbing or the electricity. Those things have to be kept up or everything's going to fall apart. And it's the same thing. So I think this disconnect that we have that most people have from the body um, 
is 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 causing issues and and this time in menopause it's not a disease it's something that we're all going to go through and yes the hormones are changing but with the with the stress hormones that can actually affect our sex hormones so um I'm not a doctor. I'll just kind of jump into this because we were talking about it before. I'm not a doctor, but a lot of women do ask me about hormone replacement or they are already on hormone replacement and they don't like it. And so here's what I have to say. I'm not, it's something that you've talked to about your doctor, but here's the thing. Our hormones will fluctuate. So if you have a lot of women like, I just want to get my hormones tested. I want to get my hormones tested and see what's out of balance. Well, your hormones are different every day. So if you go get tested one day, it might show that you are not in perimenopause at all. And then if you go two weeks later, it's going to show you're very well into perimenopause. So it's not the most accurate of measures. And at least make some of the lifestyle changes first, if you can, um, you know, for women that are really, really suffering and it's something that they, they want to go and do. And the doctor and their doctor says, that's okay, you know, fine. But if you're just doing that and not making any of these lifestyle changes at all, it's just going to kind of be a band-aid because then when you do go off of them, if you haven't made the changes in your lifestyle, in your nutrition, in your movement, in how you handle stress, that's not going to be long lasting changes and benefits. Mm. And I think that's a really important point to make that you know, a lot of women may think that if going on HRT will eliminate all their symptoms and life will go back to normal, but it may not be as simple as that. And these lifestyle changes are the things that need to be happening. Like your body's communicating to you for a reason. And like you said, that band-aid will only work for a certain period of time. I've had a, a client recently, you know, she's in her 50s. She's been going through perimenopause. She had been on HRT. She had a lot of things happen in her life emotionally, sent her stress levels haywire. And then her doctor's like, well, maybe come off the HRT, you know, maybe some of these symptoms may be related back to being on the HRT. So then she's trying different HRT and it's, you know, changing everything again. And she's, you know, going through a lot more stress of, of trying to fix that. And now she's gone back to doing the lifestyle changes. And she said, it's been so much, so much better since going back to do that rather than playing around with different HRTs. Yeah. I, I'm glad to hear that because it can be a lot of work and take a lot of time to be going back and, and forth to the doctor and getting the, them adjusted. And I hear women, you know, just like with anything that we're taking, that the side effects can be worse than the symptoms themselves. So you can always go to those, but making the lifestyle changes first is really preventative of things getting worse. Like you're not going to, nothing's going to get worse if you get better sleep. There's yeah. no side effects of that, right? And there's no, you know, there's there's no downside to taking some deep breaths and listening to your body, but there's, there's always, there's always that risk. And uh, I, I just work with a client, she's amazing and she is 46 and she had like a few, she's the one whose digestive um, issues improved. And she was, she had like a couple of months where she was tired. She was having these night sweats 
And she was really unfocused at work. She wasn't enjoying her work. She was overwhelmed. She wasn't doing time management well. And she wasn't like a great example to her team. And she was like, I got to get ahead of this. I'm going to work with somebody who knows what they're doing. I'm not going to try to figure this out. She felt like she was taking a burden off of herself to, to take my hand. And because she got ahead of it, it was a very, very quick turnaround. She, her night sweats were better the first week. It's amazing. (laughs) And she had, so then she started sleeping better. She sleeps entirely through the night. Like she doesn't even wake up at all. And she's so much happier at work. She is more productive. She's having more fun with her family. And she, she knew like she wanted to get ahead of it. And the longer that women wait, it it doesn't have to take so much longer, but it will tend to because the symptoms are already worse. So that's what I always encourage women, like getting ahead of it is the best thing because you don't want to waste these months. You don't want to waste this precious time. For a lot of the women that I work with, their, their kids are 16, 17, 18. They're starting to go off to college. And it's like the last year or two that they're with their kids and they're finding that, you know, they're tired, they're snippy, and they're not wanting to do as many things because they're so tired. They're not wanting to go out and do active trips or even make plans. And they know that they're missing out. So the sooner you can do that, the more present you're going to be with everybody and have, um, and be that example for your family, whether they're boys or girls, seeing that their mom is taking care of themselves and prioritizing herself because she knows that that's going to be better for everybody. Mm. And we've touched on sleep and food and stress What are your views with exercise and how that changes as we start to enter perimenopause as well? Yeah. So this might be surprising for some people, but it is one of the most important things. So very intense workouts create stress hormones, right? And so as our hormones change, those intense exercises are not going to be our friend anymore. And I'm not talking about once in a while or once a week, but I'm talking about the people that are doing really hard workouts every single day and long stretches of cardio that they're forcing themselves to do that. They're going to a gym. I'm not talking about like a a long bike ride or, or, or something like that because it is stressing the body in a way that it, it goes into fight or flight. And that's where the belly fat comes into. So this can be a difficult thing for women to say that I'm not going to do that because it feels like they're accomplishing something when they're working out really hard, but that at this time of life, doing one day, which is yoga or Pilates, doing a shorter workout. And if the only, and this is where like our identity is also changing. If our whole identity has been about how hard we work out. And that's like something that we've done for 10, 20 years. It can feel like, oh, I'm I'm missing something because that's our identity, but our identity is shifting. And when we feel like we don't have time, this could be the perfect time to take, you know, start to enjoy something new or just get into the sense of having more time to yourself and to relax and 
people say they're so busy. You have so much time. Well, this could give you like an extra hour that you could go shopping. You could maybe go food shopping, make a meal, or just kind of chill out and do some restorative yoga. So I don't even call it exercise. I call it movement. And more does not necessarily mean better. And even for women who are doing yoga, I'm counting like a really intense yoga class. That is also lots of stress on the body, lots of sweating. And this doesn't mean it's forever. It's like, just just scale back a little bit and see how you feel. Hmm. Well, as you said, I think mindset is such a big part of it because we do get sort of used to our routines and being able to do a certain, you know, it might be a certain amount of reps or run for a certain amount of minutes. And so if we then start to drop down from that, then we can feel that we're not as strong as we used to be or, you know, and we we don't want to give that up. We don't want to feel like we're changing or aging or, you know, but sometimes I think, like you said, it's just changing that mindset that you're in a different period of your life and you need to support your body in a different way, which is the same as when you go through pregnancy. You can't do the same, you know, I know for me, I was, you know, a runner and all the rest of it. And I ran through to about 26 or 27 weeks. And then I had to, I was doing yoga and and other movement things for a different period of my life. That's, that's such a great point. And you weren't doing the same things, you know, for, I don't know, two or four or six months afterwards either, because your body was in a different place. And Here's here's the shift. Our body is in a different place. We're not um we're not fertile and oh, we're not reproducing anymore like fertile's kind of like a you know juicy kind of place. We're not at that stage of our life. And our body, we've been in our body longer. We're if we're like you know 100 years ago or 150 years ago most women weren't living until, you know, they were only in menopause for five or 10 years because life expectancy was so much. And we're so fortunate that we have this whole chapter in our lives. So, you know, walks, hikes, bike rides, being outside, being outdoors, these hard workouts that are at the gym that are, you know, you're really pushing your body. Um, you know, ask yourself, what, what is that giving you? If you knew that it was stressing your body to a point that you are more tired, that you are more irritable, and you're forcing yourself into that, you know, the big question is why? And everything's an experiment. Like you can treat your body like an experiment. Okay. So you're you're going three or four times a week to have an intense workout or even more, and you're feeling this way. So what if you cut it back to half? How are you sleeping? What's happening with your weight? What's happening with your stress level? How are you feeling? Because if the workouts are creating more stress in your body, everything goes on alert. So it doesn't have to be forever. You might not notice any difference at all. And then, you know, you can go back to it. But for a lot of women, they're like, you know, you're right. I really needed that downtime. Downtime doesn't mean scrolling on your phone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know also with um, a lot of the ladies that I work with, you know, strength training can be really important for, you know, muscle mass, but also bone mass, because as we age, we're at increased risk of uh, osteopenia and osteoporosis, and especially women. We have 
such higher rates in comparison to men when it comes to osteoporosis. So, you know, switching up your training, adding in, you know, your walks or a swim or your Pilates or your yoga, and then leaning into some type of strength training. Again, it doesn't have to be high intensity, but adding in that strength work can really support the body too. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, some of the cardio, like people that are, that are especially, I don't know why I'm like picturing the gym, maybe because I spent so many winters in the gym, <laughs> um, you know, running on treadmills and, you know, the stair, stair step. I forget what it's called. It used to be stair. Oh, master. yeah, stair master. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and I, you know, I did that when I was in my twenties, I'd sit on that climbing bike for an hour and 15 minutes. And it's like, why? Like your body doesn't need that much. And if we're doing it because we feel like we've eaten too much or that that's a whole nother, a whole nother story, or it's just because we've done it before, but if we can start to think about every step that we take is either moving us towards health or away from health, we can start to ask ourselves those questions. But if it's just a matter of having that achievement, you know, we're not going to be able to do that forever. And is that something that you want to do forever? Or do you want to be in a place where you're just feeling really great and able to run around with your family, um, with your kids, do all those things and not be so tired that you can't make the plans or afraid that you're going to get tired in the middle of a hike and have to turn around? These are the stories that I, that I hear that, um, this, that there was a woman and she like, she feels like she didn't give her boys a summer, like 12 year old twins. And she was too tired to go have adventures with them. And she was feeling really guilty about it. And she hadn't been taking care of herself. So why do we want to do it so that we can be the best version of ourselves. And when we are, you know, everybody around us is happier. When when you're feeling better, you set an example. Mm. And I think too, you know, looking after ourselves is something that's important that we often, as women, tend to push aside. And also I know from a lot of the clients that I work with, a lot of women are having children later now as well. It used to be, you know, late 20s. And I know when I was having my girls, I had my um, first daughter at 30 and everyone was like kind of starting at 30. And now I sort of see with my clients, it's more around the 35 mark even before they're starting to have kids or starting to think about having kids. And that you know, again, our bodies are changing and that will affect our body in a different way, having kids later as well. Absolutely. Now, before we wrap up, I also just want to touch on detoxification. And if you can share some ideas, you know, that people can follow that are some, you know, great ideas that are easy to do to help the body detoxify. Great. I love this subject because when we think about detoxifying, we also usually just think about the digestive tract, right? But our skin is our largest organ of elimination. So there's a practice called dry brushing. This is, you know, from Ayurveda and other things. And just like it sounds, it's a dry brush. It's kind of looks like a shower, um, you know, a shower Loose scrubber. <laughs> and you're brushing your skin. So I'll kind of add on to this because what we put on our skin 
is becoming our body. So ideally, we wouldn't be putting things on our skin that we couldn't ingest because it actually goes right into our bloodstream. It doesn't have the chance to get detoxified through our organs, right? So one of the things we can do to detoxify is to really know what we're putting on our body and be aware of it. And it's actually a lot easier now than it used to be to find cleaner products that don't have all the, and what, what has been great about technology is that there are all these small companies that now don't have to get into stores. They can just um, go online. So you can find out those. So one of the things to detoxify is not be um, putting things on your body that are going to be absorbed. So in Ayurveda, one of the things that we is a big practice is called oil massage. And if you have massages, you've probably had oil rubbed onto you, but it's a very nourishing practice and, and it's oil. You can use coconut oil, you can use sesame oil, and you're you're rubbing on your body and it's very nourishing. And if you tend to be dry, more women are getting drier skin as we get older and rubbing that on your body. And it's like you would eat you would eat sesame oil. So you're putting that on your skin. So the body is more able to detoxify through the skin when it doesn't have um, those layers of lotion, for example, or fragrances. And then we can add on to that by keeping the skin, um, shedding the skin so that it's, it's less I keep thinking of clogged and we think of like clogged pores, oh, but it's not <laughs> like that. It's improving the circulation. And then what we can do is we can, we can use the brush around our lymph, our lymph glands. So those are located around the throat and the jaw. We've had swollen glands. You can awesome, awesome feel them there. The inside of the um, elbows, the undersides of the knees, around the groins and the ankles, and especially around the rib cage. So we can stroke those areas and just get that that energy moving there to help the detoxification process. So that's one of my favorite things. Um, if you have access to an infrared sauna. That is also a great detoxification process. There are more, I found a center here and depending on where you live, there are more centers that have them now that that it's easier and that can be a great way to detoxify as well. And obviously drinking more water. Simple, but definitely uh, something that we can all probably be doing. Now with the dry brushing, I have to ask, is there an art to it as in, do you need to be doing it a certain direction or circular or? Yeah. I don't want it to get to be too complicated. And if anybody wants to, there are tons of videos on YouTube, but we want the strokes along the limbs to be towards the heart. So you're going from your extremities, um, same with the feet, uh, up towards the feet, up towards the heart, short strokes. Now on your stomach, this is really interesting. We want to go in the same direction as digestion goes. So um, if you're looking down at your belly, it's going to be clockwise. So it goes up through the colon and then down. So that's kind of getting the digestion moving around there as well. And in some Ayurveda practices, we're actually massaging that area to get to get things moving. 
And, um, you know, the more you're hydrated, the more you're going to be eliminating through your bowels and, and that's all detoxification. And I just want to say about, about detox that we want to be really careful about it because if it's very extreme, it's putting more stress on the body. Mm. Yeah. So I have to agree. Yeah. Um, and I think too, you know, we've heard of these, like you can buy these detox kits, you know, at the health food store and you're not really having much except lemon water for a couple of days and, you know, and these powders and things. And that's where I think we really need to be really careful and maybe just hone in on some of these other ways that we can look at detoxification and do those first, again, going back to those basics rather than leaning into buying more different products. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, a simple, there's actually a very simple, it's like a, it's like a porridge that in Ayurveda they use, it's called kitchari. And it's just made with rice and mung beans and Indian spices, which aid in digestion. And it's, and you can add vegetables and it's, it's very easy to digest. So whenever somebody's sick, and, and I know people of Indian origin, and we always talk about, about it. When somebody's sick, that's what they're given to eat. If you're wanting to take a break from food, that you can do that. Just that. It's called a mono diet for, um, for two or three days and just give your body a break from digestion for heavier digestion. And that can just kind of settle you down. But, um, the word detoxification doesn't mean that it has to be like super intense and you're going to be only drinking juice for two weeks. I don't recommend it. And I think to, you know, anybody that's listening in, you know, if it's coming to these things like these longer fasts and stuff that you really should be working with a professional, you know, a trained professional that knows your body and knows all your health history, because it really needs to be tailored to you because it can be dangerous if you are, you know, not doing it correctly for your situation. Exactly. Like coming off of fast food and then going to something extreme, the body is going to have to dump so many toxins that um, could feel, you could feel pretty terrible. Um, even just coming off of coffee can feel pretty bad for a couple of days. I don't know if anybody, anybody has tried that, but um, it's withdrawal. So don't do that quickly either. Yeah, I've had many clients doing that. And yeah, headaches seem to be the the main thing that most people um, struggle with and also lack of energy. Exactly. I always recommend that if people are going to do that, they do it over a weekend and then like on Thursday do um, a quarter decaf and then Friday half and then over the weekend you know, they can rest and hydrate. And the headache is also from dehydration because coffee is so such a diuretic. Mm. Now, before we wrap up, I always like to ask my guests to leave one piece of advice that our listeners could go off and instigate straight away. Okay. So I've been trying to do this more myself, that if you're feeling stressed about something, are you kind of living in that? So for example, if you're thinking about something that might is going to happen at work tomorrow, like does living in that stress and anticipation, is that changing what's going to happen tomorrow? Is that interfering with your, your joy in your life right now? Is that taking away from you being present with your kids or with your spouse? 
Because if it is, it's wasted energy and it's missing out on life. So if you find yourself kind of ruminating about things, and this can also be in the middle of the night, and this can also be why we're so tired because we're thinking about those things. So just starting to be aware of it. Wow. I'm thinking about this thing. It's happening tomorrow. Um, if you uh, have somebody who's ill in your family and you're worrying about it, worrying about it, well, is that worry actually changing the situation? Because if it's not, if you can take a few deep breaths and focus on what's happening right now, because the more we can start to do that, and, and stop living in the future about something that we often cannot control right now, or it's not going to change whether we, we worry about it or not, the more we can be present and that's going to decrease our stress levels. Hmm. Well, that's something I know I always try to communicate to my girls with school and stuff. If there's, you know, stuff that's been happening and like, don't worry about it. It'll all work out. It'll be fine. But it's definitely something that I also should be adopting more because you sometimes do get a bit stuck. I think they say, I mean, it's a huge percentage of your thoughts are either stuck in the future or stuck in the past and only very few are in the present. Yes, um, 100%. And uh, being stuck in the past for me, that feels more like depression and anxiety is in the future. And we're missing, you know, those moments right in front of us. So you could be having a conversation, but you're worried about something that's tomorrow. And that's when all the cascades of the stress hormones come on. And, um, you know, there are some of the things that happen when we do get older is that little things don't bother us as much um, because we've just been through so much more and recognizing that there are just some things that we don't have any control over. We don't have any control about um, how somebody's going to react to us, but we have the choice to be able to respond. And I call the difference, the difference between a reaction and a response is a breath. So if you react, it's like a split second, but if you pause, listen, take a breath, that's a response. So the old adage, we'll just pause and take a breath. Well, it, you know, it's a cliche or, you know, something that we all went to because it's true because everything kind of changes. And, um, you can hear how people are, are speaking to one another or to their children and whether they're in reaction mode or in responding and, and, and everything changes and life just looks differently. Mm. Well, I think that's a, a really lovely point to end the podcast on and definitely something that I'm going to be thinking about a lot more <laughs> if I'm <laughs> reacting or responding and paying more attention to that. Cause sometimes you yeah. do get caught up in the moment of everything, but Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure having you on again. Um, it's so nice to be back, Kate. I just love speaking with you. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Please hit subscribe to be updated for each time we release a new podcast.